You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Hey everyone, I'm your host Emily and welcome to Sideline Edit. Here I'll be curating and breaking down what's trending in the world of sports on and off the field. I'll leave you with just the right amount of information so that you can join in on any sports conversation and not feel totally lost. You'll know what the big game of the week was, what event to be on the lookout for next, what team is hot, who had the best game day fit, because trust me, the game day fashion is elite. And I'll also just be filling you in on who some of these main characters are so that you can get a better understanding of why I and so many other people out there are just so obsessed with the world of sports. And I always say, I truly think sports are the best reality TV out there. And so I'm excited for you to see that too. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sideline Edit. I am so excited to dive into everything that happened in the world of sports this week. Thanksgiving week is always a full plate in a lot of different ways. And so with that, let's go ahead and dive right in. I want to go ahead and dive into college football. This past week, it was the last game of the regular season. And so much of what was happening in these games determine what happens and who's playing and what in the postseason. And the postseason in college football can look a few different ways, and so it can be a little confusing. This week, we start our conference championships. And so that's when you'll see things like the SEC championship, the ACC championship, the Big Ten, Pac-12, the best of those conferences are going to play each other in a conference championship this weekend. And then after this week, we're going to be diving into more of those bowl games, And so the bowl games start mid-December and then go until New Year's Day. And then we also have the playoffs in there, which right now in college, it's just four teams go to the playoffs. And then that championship game, that final game, so the champion of who is the best in college football is on January 8th. And so between now and into January, We have a lot going on in the postseason of college football. And so before we get into what that could look like, I want to go into what happened this week in the college football games. And a big thing about this week was whether or not teams would be bowl eligible. And so to be eligible to play in a bowl game, you need at least six wins. And so the big thing that we were paying attention to this week were people that only had five wins who could get their sixth win. And so trying to see who has enough wins to be eligible to go to a bowl game. And there are a lot of bowl games. I think you mainly hear about the big ones like the Rose Bowl, and there's definitely a hierarchy to specific bowl games. But in total, there are 41 bowl games. And so that means you have 82 teams that get to go to a bowl game. And then on the other side of things, you also have, let's say, the top eight teams or so in the country this week. 
who were competing because they want to prove that they should be in the playoffs. And so, like I said, the playoffs is just four teams. And the playoffs is definitely the most wanted slots. You're competing for the national championship. And so we kind of had these two things going. People who were just trying to get into bowl games and then people who were trying to prove that they should be in the actual playoffs. And then with that, Thanksgiving week, we also had rivalry week. So we had a lot of big, exciting matchups. And so I'm just going to go ahead and highlight a few games and a few teams. Number six, Oregon beat number 16, Oregon State, by 24 points. And so that's great for Oregon because they're trying to get into those playoffs and they currently only have one loss and they've been looking strong. And so to beat a team convincingly like that, especially another team that is ranked in the top 25, that's a great win for Oregon. We also had our classic rivalry of Alabama and Auburn and Alabama won by just three points. They're currently ranked number eight with one loss, and Auburn's not ranked, and so that win isn't considered to be as strong. Number four, Washington beats Washington State, and Washington finishes the regular season with a perfect undefeated record. Number one, Georgia also stays undefeated by beating Georgia Tech. And then the biggest game of the day, the week, maybe even the year, is the longtime rivals Ohio State and Michigan game. This is a very big rivalry in college sports, and going into the game, there was a lot of talk, obviously, about Michigan this year. They've had scandals going on with in-person scouting and sign stealing, and one of their, I'll say, punishments has been their head coach, Harbaugh, has been suspended from coaching games, and so he can coach his team during the week, go to practices, all that, but he can't be in communication for the actual game. Both teams went into this game being undefeated 11-0. Ohio State ranked number two in the country and Michigan ranked number three. And it was a great game. I watched this game. A lot of back and forth. Just with these iconic rivalry games, it just has, I don't know, a special quality to it. It feels nostalgic. They were playing at the big house in Michigan The students get super into it, and it's just a really fun game. Michigan ends up pulling it out with a 30-24 win. Michigan will now play in the Big Ten Championship game and wait to see if they make it to the playoffs. It's looking like they will, but we will have to see. And with Ohio State losing, now they're just really hoping to see if they get into the playoffs. And right now with college football, we have four undefeated teams. And so there's talk of maybe the playoffs are as easy as that. You just give the four undefeated teams the playoff spots. And so those four teams are Georgia, Washington, Michigan, and Florida State. And deciding who gets into these playoffs, it's decided by a committee. And so it's not like the NFL where it's based on your record and your division and it kind of just funnels through like that. This is based on a committee because there are a lot of factors. What teams people play, the strength of their schedule is a big one. And so a team that plays a lot of easier teams who's undefeated doesn't look as good as a team who is undefeated and plays harder games or maybe even a team that plays harder games and has one loss 
is technically better than a team who is undefeated, who played easier teams. And so there's just more nuance to it. It's humans voting. They're also trying to figure out like what are going to be good competitive games. And we have to wait and see who will get those four coveted spots. And this is actually the last season of a four-team playoff. As next year, we're going to start having a 12-team playoff. And I'm very excited about this because there would definitely be more surprise with it, kind of how you have with March Madness. When there's a bigger pool, there's more opportunity for underdog wins and upsets, and it just adds some drama to it. But like I said at the top, we have those conference championships this week. Tune into my Friday morning episode for what my picks are for what games to watch. We honestly have some really good matchups in these conference championships. In the NFL this week, we are in week 12. And so that playoff picture is starting to get talked about more. We aren't at the same place as college. We still have more regular season games, but we're narrowing in trying to figure out who will make it to the playoffs. On Thanksgiving Day, we had three games. One of those was division rivals in the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions. I had been mentioning the Lions this season because they have been performing so well and went into the game eight and two, whereas the Packers were four and six. But the Packers pulled out the upset win And this doesn't affect the Lions too much as they're pretty comfortably at the top of their division, but still an upset for the Lions. I've said it before, but with divisional games, an upset is more likely just because these teams know each other better. And so divisional teams play each other twice every season. And so you just see each other more, you know each other better. And so there's more room for these upsets. We also had a Black Friday game this year, which is new, not the norm, and I love having the one Friday game. I love that it just filled the schedule to have football every day, Thursday through Monday, and so I was into it. The Miami Dolphins beat the New York Jets in that game. On Sunday, we had a couple of games that I want to touch on, one of those being the Cleveland Browns and the Denver Broncos. And I've talked about both of these teams before, but the quick summary is that the Browns have looked like a strong team this season. They went into the game 7-3. and three. A couple of weeks ago, they had lost their first-string quarterback for the season with an injury, Deshaun Watson, and so they had rookie quarterback DTR in. But then last week, I had also mentioned how they had added quarterback Joe Flacco to the team. He's an older quarterback at 38 He's played with a handful of teams in his career, most notably the Baltimore Ravens. He was Super Bowl MVP with them, but he started the season not signed to a team, and the Browns just picked him up as a veteran quarterback, which makes sense. It adds depth to their roster. They have the young rookie DTR and wanted to just, like I said, add that depth with adding Joe Flacco into the mix. And then other than the quarterback position, they have been dealing with some other injuries, And so just not the same team that was stronger a couple weeks ago. And then on the other side of the ball, you have the Denver Broncos, who started the season 1-5, and had really been struggling, did not do well last season. They are under new head coach Sean Payton. 
well, new to the Broncos, definitely not new to head coaching. He's a very successful Super Bowl winning head coach. And then we have Russell Wilson in our quarterback who joined the team last year. And I talked about them last week because with their win last week, I had said how I was finally starting to see things clicking for the Broncos. Russell Wilson was starting to look like Russell Wilson. He was making those big arm throws down the field that just like come in clutch. And I was getting excited to see like everything click for the Broncos. They've just been struggling and there's been animosity. People are like bench Russell Wilson, like all these things that just seemed a little extreme with the Broncos. And so to see them finally like coming together, maybe even in playoff contention is just exciting. And so basically we have these two teams meeting and their lucks are kind of like swinging in opposite directions. And I would say the direction that these were swinging is just the direction that continued in this game. The Browns were hit with more injuries, notably on the defense, losing Miles Garrett during the game. He is a key, key defensive player for their team. And then on offense, their quarterback, DTR, ended up leaving with a concussion. And so they had to put in a backup quarterback, P.J. Walker, who really struggled. He got sacked four times. And unfortunately, Joe Flacco, the quarterback who they had signed last week, was not active on the roster. And so he couldn't jump in and play. And so he's currently just on the practice squad. And so it was kind of annoying to just see him on the sidelines in a hoodie when P.J. Walker is really struggling. And I was just like, I wish we could have Joe in there right now. I wish we could see Joe Flacco. We haven't seen him play in quite some time and granted he just got there but he's a veteran quarterback I was just like annoyed seeing him on the sidelines when he could have been in the game and I just really wish we would have gotten to see him play it'll be interesting to see if we do see him play I think that they should put him in have him hopefully he'll be doing reps this week and he'll get to play in this upcoming game because the Browns with Joe Flacco as their quarterback was definitely not on my bingo card this year but seeing him just back on the field with this Browns team I'm hoping we get to see it. The Broncos get the win in this game. This is now their fifth win in a row. This is a team that started one and five and now have five wins in a row. So definitely swinging in the right direction. And the game actually ends 29 to 12. And so surprisingly, this is a scoregami, which in the NFL essentially means it's a score we have never seen in the history of the league. And the scoregami, 29 to 12, our first ever 29 to 12 game in the NFL. The next game I need to touch on are the Buffalo Bills at the Philadelphia Eagles. Going to this game, I think you've heard over the past few episodes my disappointment with the Bills this season. I was hoping that this season the team would be Super Bowl contenders like they have looked like the last few years. And then the season happened and I think last week I even was like, are the Bills even going to make the playoffs like I honestly don't know and then with the Eagles who 
did actually go to the Super Bowl last year. Have looked pretty great this season with one loss. Last week, they had that rematch of the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs, which they won. The Eagles are just a team that, like, I don't think they look as good as they did last year. Last year, they looked great. But no matter what, like, they just win. They know how to win. They make it happen. Jalen Hurts is just like that. And so I'm, like, waiting for their luck to run out. But like I've said before, I feel like a lot of these top teams in the league right now just aren't super consistent. And so maybe they'll go the rest of the season and not have a loss. I wouldn't be surprised at this point. Going into this game, I was just kind of hoping to see that the Bills can like prove that they can hang with a top tier team. And so I kind of expected them to lose to the Eagles just because the Eagles have been so strong and have been pulling out wins. Where on the other side, the Bills had moments of looking good and then just like can't pull out the win, just like lose it for themselves. Watching the game, it was a cold, very rainy game. There was like a blur filter over the coverage of this game. And watching this, I was like, this cold, rainy weather is an advantage for the Bills. They thrive in the cold and the wet being a Buffalo, New York-based team. When quarterback Josh Allen is on the sidelines in his big, like, full-length coat, to me, that's, like, if I had a picture of Josh Allen, like, in the dictionary, that is his picture. Just on the sidelines in his big, like, winter jacket. If you know, you know. I'll have to post a pic. That's just Josh Allen for me. When he's on the sidelines with his face, like, eagerly slash nervously waiting for his turn to be back in the game so he can do his Josh Allen things. That is Josh Allen. I can barely distinctly like picture him in those situations in close games where he's just waiting to get back in being like defense like give me my turn. When is my turn to do all the Josh Allen crazy plays? And so with this weather I was like maybe this gives me some hope. It's definitely on their side. I felt like it was advantageous for the Bills. And in this game, I was getting glimpses of that Josh Allen who we just haven't been seeing as much this season. In the first quarter, the Eagles score a touchdown and then the Bills comes back in the second quarter and the Bills go all out. They score 17 points and then both teams score a touchdown in the third Eagles come back in the fourth quarter. It's an exciting fourth quarter getting to see the Eagles come back from that and you just get to see that very winning mentality. The Eagles kicker ends up making a 59-yard field goal in the rain to tie the game and go into overtime. But before the kick happens, when they're going down the field trying to score to tie the game, Jason Kelsey, who is one of the greatest centers of all time. Of course, he's Travis Kelsey's brother, podcast host, sexiest man alive nominee, all the things that Jason Kelsey is. He is the center for the team for the Philadelphia Eagles. And so he's the one holding the ball before the play starts. And so when the Eagles are going down the field trying to score to either tie or win the game, On two different plays, Jason Kelsey gets false start penalties, and that pushes them back and ends up hurting the Eagles in 
these two situations, he gets them. And being a center, it's kind of hard to get a false start penalty because you're the one who's literally like starting the play. You're doing that initial ball movement, but it's so wet and rainy. He gets these false starts just because the ball is like slippery and he's doing the slightest readjustments, I think just to keep the ball where it needs to be before the play starts. You can rewatch these penalties and it is just the slightest movement, but that's enough for a false start. And so that ends up hurting them as they're trying to make it down the field. But like I said, they get that 59-yard field goal and we go into overtime. Going into overtime, I had a bad feeling about this for the Bills because now the Eagles have made this long field goal that tied the game in their own stadium. The momentum is there. The Bills end up getting the ball first and they can't get a touchdown to win the game. So they have to settle for a field goal. And then the defense just can't stop the Eagles and the Eagles end up winning with a Jalen Hurts touchdown. Even with this loss for the Bills, I'm just kind of happy that the Bills could hang. Like they were in it. That was really nice to see and they just couldn't pull it out. So I'm still worried for the Bills, but definitely not as worried for the Eagles. They are just making it happen and likely going to be the top of the NFC. Tune into my Friday morning episode for my picks for games for week 13 of the NFL season. We have some very good matchups, which I'm so excited for. Right into Formula One. This week we had our last race of the season in Abu Dhabi. And so this race essentially solidifies where the points are ending for the season. In F1, you have two championships, essentially. The drivers for the specific driver who gets the most points, and then the constructors, which is the team championship, which combines the two drivers' points for the season. And so every race, you get points if you're in the top 10 finishing, depending on the position you finish, and then you can also get a point for having the fastest lap. And so all season, you're adding your points to this grand total. And based on where you end up in the points, the prize is monetary. And so this isn't a set like amount every year that the top team wins. So it's not like the top team always wins $100 million. It's based on how much money the sport F1 makes in that season. And then about 50% of what is made overall gets used as prize money for the teams. And so my following like numbers are all estimates. This is not something that like we know. It's just an estimate. Based on those estimates, the sport likely made around a billion dollars this year. The top team gets 14% of the pot. And so that first place is estimated to get about $140 million, and then it goes down from there. And so second is estimated to get $131 million, third $122 million, down to the 10th place team, which is estimated to get $60 million. There's also some like bonuses and stuff in there where teams could make more, but those are just kind of like the estimates so that you have an idea of like what these numbers are 
the teams are competing for. And then the drivers themselves get paid by the teams. And so there's probably stipulations in each of their contracts based on where they end up in the driver's championship, how much they'll make overall, like room for bonuses there as well. And so going into this last race of the season, the top winning team and driver were already solidified. I've mentioned before Max Verstappen of Team Red Bull's dominance, and I'll give some stats later just about how dominant he has been this season. But there was a race for a second place in the constructors to be determined, and that was between the Mercedes team and Ferrari. Ferrari was only four points behind Mercedes going into the race. There was a fight for who would get fourth between McLaren and Aston Martin. And then there was also a fight basically for the bottom four teams. In the driver's tournament, there was a fight for essentially spot like four through seven had to be determined and then a fight for like nine through 12. And then the bottom racers, I mean, with a win, they could have dramatically like jumped up in the standings. And so there was actually like a decent amount of uncertainty going into this championship with racing anything can truly happen, but outside of the actual championship, which we already knew who the first place winners were in both. The biggest race was that race for second in the constructors between Mercedes and Ferrari. Charles Leclerc of Ferrari qualified second with Max Verstappen of Red Bull qualifying in first. And so at the start, you see Charles trying to pass Max a couple of times, but he just can't. Max led 52 of the 58 laps in that race. And then towards the front, we had one driver from each of those teams competing for a second. So we had Charles Leclerc of Ferrari and then George Russell of Mercedes. Each of their teammates were farther back. Carlos Sainz of Ferrari had not qualified very well, and so he was at the back. Lewis Hamilton of Mercedes hadn't qualified great. He was still in the top 10, but just not towards the front of the pack. And so then at the very end of the race, towards the front, you have both of the Red Bulls, Max and Checo, and then you have Charles from Ferrari and George from Mercedes. And Checo of Red Bull had a five-second penalty for an incident that had happened earlier in the race. And so that five-second penalty would be added at the end. And so if he finishes in third place, but fourth place was less than five seconds behind, he falls to fourth place. Charles knows this. He knows that Checo has this penalty. And so at the moment, Max is in first, Charles in second, Checo in third, and then George in fourth. But Charles doesn't want George to be within five seconds of Checo because that means that George then gets the third spot in the race, which means Mercedes will get second in the constructors because they are so close and Ferrari would get third. And obviously, Charles wants his team to get second. So at the end of the race, Charles actually slows down and he lets Checo pass him and he attempts himself to kind of like slow down George Russell so that George is farther than five seconds behind so that the penalty doesn't give him an advantage. And this is all Charles' idea. He has a whole Ferrari team of strategists, but as I mentioned before, Ferrari is their own worst enemy especially with strategies, and Charles and Carlos kind of have to make up their own to ever achieve anything. 
And so that's basically what Charles is trying to do here. He's trying to win this for his team and do this kind of risky maneuver to make that happen. But unfortunately for Charles, he's not able to slow George down enough. And so when the race ends, Charles and George are both within five seconds of Checo. And so Max gets first, Charles second, George third, and Checo falls to fourth. You just hear Charles on the radio very disappointed because he doesn't know right away. He like needs his team to tell him where everything ended. And he's just obviously annoyed because he tried and was off by like a second. And so that's the crazy thing about F1 is that you have multiple, multiple races And then at the end, things can literally come down to seconds. McLaren drivers Oscar Piastri and Lando Norris finish 5th and 6th. And so that puts McLaren at 4th in the constructors and then Aston Martin in 5th. And so I want to share kind of as a closing chapter on this Formula 1 season, some quick stats on how crazy of a season for Red Bull It was. It was the most dominated season by any driver, therefore any team in F1 history. I wish there was like another equivalent I could relate it to. Like Michael Phelps of swimming maybe. Just so, so dominant. Red Bull won between the two drivers 21 of the 22 races this season. Max wins 19 of those 22 races and so you have Checo winning two and then Carlos Sainz was the only non-Red Bull driver to win a race and so that puts Max at winning 86% of the races this season. He set a record for the most laps led in a season. He led 75% of all the laps in all the races this season And then he also set the record for the most points between first place and second place in the Drivers' Championship. And so his teammate Checo was in second place. And with Max's dominance, another actually interesting streak was broken. And so at the end of every race at the podium celebration, two national anthems are played. The driver's home country and then the team's country. And so Max Verstappen is Dutch, and then Red Bull Racing is registered in Austria. And so we heard a lot of that Dutch-Austrian national anthem combo this year. And this was actually the first season since 1952 without the British anthem played. And so no British driver won or no driver from a British team won. This is obviously unusual. It hasn't happened since 1952. There are a lot of drivers and teams that are British. And so for this to happen, definitely just kind of a wild thing that you would have never thought about. But that's a wrap and a bookend on this season of Formula One. We have a few months off before next season. One thing we are still waiting on is whether the only American driver, Logan Sargent, will be a driver next year. Out of the 20 drivers, he is the one driver who is not confirmed yet for next season. And so we are waiting for that announcement. Either way, it falls. The principal for the team he's on, Williams Racing, the principal James, I feel like is giving me 
some information without giving me information. Very hard to read. And so I just don't, I don't know what's going to happen either way. Part of me thinks he'll be back and then other parts makes me think he won't be back. We just don't know yet. And so as we get closer to next season of F1, I'll update you on that. But for now, that's a wrap on this season of F1. Even with Max's dominance, I feel like we had such good races. And so I'm excited to see next year. I just don't think Red Bull will be able to continue this dominance, but we will see. And not only is that the end of the F1 season, but an end of this Monday recap episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you all Friday for my what to watch this week episode. As always, I appreciate all the support with the podcast. The best way to support a new podcast is to rate and review. And so thank you. Thank you so much for doing that for me. I appreciate it greatly. And I will see you all on Friday. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel, 58ember.com, or find us at 58 Ember Media on socials.